the title today is A Vision for the Church. All right, here we go. Um, my hope and thought was after Easter, just because, again, we are going to be walking through uh, a new series called Prophets and Kings, going through 1 Samuel. My thought is before we just jump, jump into that, you know, let us kind of explore what are we doing here, right? Last Sunday was so beautiful. Jesus is risen. He's alive. You know, I think every Sunday we want to go into Sunday with that same mindset and expectation, like, yes, we look at Sunday yesterday and go, 2,000 years ago, we celebrate that fact. But really, every Sunday, the fact that we gather on a Sunday is in just remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus, that on the first day of the week, he rose. And now Jesus risen, we go, what's next? Well, you have the birth of the church, and you have this vision for this church. And I, I really want to get back to this, a vision for the church, meaning um, I feel like my, my passion or my, just my, my hope today is that we would actually fight against I think, how we've been being formed the last couple of years post-pandemic kind of church life. My thing is, I think Jesus has a great vision for the church. I think the church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And yet sometimes, so often what we see in the church, I don't think is what Jesus had in mind. I don't know if, if it's leadership, if it's the church body, if it's just kind of the, are we being shaped and formed by our American culture of the church? My hope is to not settle. I don't want to settle. Uh, I want to fight against kind of, I think, the way the world is trying to shape us and form us into the church that we are. I want church to be so much more than a place we kind of come and go, where you're not known, where you don't know others, where we think that only the spiritual elite share the gospel, where we think that community is for like the next step maybe thing. I, I, I just want to kind of get back to Jesus. What's your hope for the church? What is it you want to do? You know, um, it's been said this way, a vision is as only as good as its cause. A vision is only as good as its cause. We can talk about a vision for the church, but what is the cause? Like, why are we here? What is it God wants to do through the church? Uh, I know that a lot of people have lost hope in the church in some ways. Like, I love Jesus, but not so much the church. And yet Jesus says, this is my bride. And so I kind of want to go, God, would you restore our vision of the church? Like, why are we here? What are we doing? And why do we start off? And why do we worship and sing? And why do we go through the word? And, and why do we do this? And what is the point? And so my hope today is that you'd see that you have a role in this. You have a part in this. That we cannot just come and go. That this is a community to belong to. That we are the body. Jesus is the head of the church. That we'd fight for that. That, that Jesus' will for the church would be done. That we see God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven through the local expression of the local church. And that is our hope. We want to be what Jesus envisioned for this. I think my, my concern is that maybe when it comes to church, we can do some things but miss the main point, miss the reason. I think that we can be active but still miss the point. I love what Francis Chan said. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Right? And I think when it comes to the church, are we just playing games? Like, what, are we just kind of doing things that normal churches do, but is this really fulfilling the heart of Jesus? Is this fulfilling the biblical vision for what the church could be? And so let's get back to this. Like, I want to fight for this. So what is this? I think Paul in 2 Timothy 2 gives Timothy, who is a young pastor in the church of Ephesus, who's 
really like raising up uh, a generation of believers. And he's basically saying, Timothy, this is what it looks like to make disciples. This is what the church looks like. Here's a few different analogies or word pictures that he gives him to say, this is what the church should be and look like. So I want to look at 2 Timothy 2 through that lens. Why don't we uh, do this? We'll read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, and just talk, uh, jump into this topic of a vision for the church. Let's do that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. He says, you then, my child, <laughs> he's like a grown man, uh, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Everyone say amen. Let's pray and just invite the Lord into this. Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, that he is risen from the grave the offspring of David, the Messiah, the one we look to, the one that this church is built on is your son, Jesus, the Christ. And we just want to say thank you. Uh, God, I just ask for myself and everyone in this room, God, would you just really restore our perspective and our heart and our, our, just our emotions, everything when it comes to the church? God, would, our, would this church, this local church here, would it be an expression of what you hope, of what you want to see, of what you're building? that Jesus, you would build this church, that you would build every church in South Florida in the world, that God, we would give ourselves over to your will, your way. God, you've left us your word to how you want to guide and govern and lead. And so Jesus, we ask that this would be yours. God, would you accomplish your purpose in our church? Would we, uh, again, not just be here going through the motions, not just be here doing what we think church should do, but that Jesus, your will would truly be done in our church. So we just want to thank you. We look to you. We need you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. You know, summer is coming up, and that means just a lot of traveling. That means kind of going out, seeing the world. Um, I think maybe some of you have plans. People we love, some of our good friends right now are traveling. One of, a pastor friend of mine, he just like the day after Easter landed in, in, uh, in Rome, and then he went to Greece, and he's posting nonstop pictures. And it's a lot to take in. You're like, oh gosh, I wish I could be there. And you see, it's so beautiful. Like, we all love to travel. We all love to see the world. I think, one, because we just like to eat in different places, really good food, and that's great. Yes. But I think, two, for me and uh, my wife, we just love, like, art. We love design. We love architecture. We love structure. There's something where you go, wow, like, I can't believe someone had a vision for that, and that just came to life and just pops out. I think one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen was a church in Italy, in Florence, Italy, like the Duomo. You see this church, and you see the baptismal, and it's, you, you, we have a picture of it, but you see, like, the color you see that someone had a vision for this and it just came to life and you go, wow, that is so gorgeous. That's so beautiful. Uh, one of my other favorite locations where you just see kind of design, you see something uh, in, I think it's pronounced Edinburgh. I don't want to offend my British friends here. Edinburgh, right, Mr. Warren? Yeah, 
Okay, sort of. Dang it. Take it right. Um, I always say Edinburgh. I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't know. Um, but they see the castle, kind of like the pinnacle of the city in Edinburgh, Scotland. I remember just going there, walking the streets. And you see like the castle. Everything is like your eyes are just constantly drawn to this castle. Like it seems like in the center, in the heart of the city. And that what it was, what it would have been at one point, what it must have looked like. Someone thought of that. Someone designed it. I think the most beautiful thing truly I've ever seen that was like built by man. We were in, um, uh, in France and we were on a train and we get on this little bus and there's this little, uh, I don't know what to call it, like a abbey in uh, the city called Mont Saint-Michel. And it was unbelievable. We're on this bus and as we turn the corner, we see in the distance this beautiful like structure. I think we have a uh, photo. But as we turn the corner, we see this and it just like took literally everyone's breath away. Like I couldn't believe this was on earth. I'm like, am I, like, am I in Lord of the Rings? Like where am I? It's unbelievable. I mean, you look at this, and you, everyone truly gasped into the bus. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And I love that. Someone had a vision for this, and it came to be. There, and I think behind every design, there obviously is a designer. Behind every sort of beauty, there's someone who thought of that beauty, created that beauty. What I love about our God is he is the ultimate, beautiful, creative designer. I love that our God creates people, and we're different. There's some people in it. It's just fun. I love the people watch. I love to see the differences. I love that God created people and animals and mountains and rivers and waterfalls and galaxies. I'm, I'm just amazed. I love that we have a creative God who created a giraffe and elephant and monkeys and a platypus. Like, God is so cool, right? He's like, I'm going to create a platypus. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to make it. I love it. Our God just has a vision for it, and he creates it, and it's so beautiful. Behind every design, there's a beautiful I think, designer behind that. I think of just, when you look at, I remember in eighth grade specifically, we had a science teacher who actually made science fun, Jim Blakey. He's not going to know this. Anyways, but it was just fun to hear. Jim Blakey was like such a nerdy scientist. He was so cool that I loved him. And he showed us pictures of the Hubble telescope, Hubble telescope. And, you know, he named some of these galaxies. And uh, one of them is the Antennae galaxy. And I remember just like seeing photos for the first time of like real galaxies from, a, you know, from the Hubble telescope. And you're going, oh my gosh, this is, this is like in the universe. Unbelievable. The cartwheel galaxy, it looks like this giant jellyfish just kind of floating around. Unbelievable. So cool. Different nebula. Like, I love that God just creates, just speaks, and there's beauty. My thing is this. The same person who created this is the same person who created the church. The same person who speaks and beauty is made is the same person who said, I will build my church. And here's the thing. The church doesn't always come across as beautiful. It's painful at times. I think we can all agree, whether in our own lives or just historically, the church has done a lot of damage. I think a lot of us in different ways, maybe we've been hurt by the church. Maybe you're like just resentful. Maybe there's a side where like, I don't know if I even trust it or want to go back to it. I can understand. I think the church has hurt a lot. But it's weird. I think more than ever, God has kind of bring me back to this place of, I so believe in the church. Like this is called the bride of Christ that this is Jesus' heart and will still, is there that would be this called out assembly that gathers around the person of Jesus and elevates him and worships him and studies about him and seeks to do life together and lives in community and experience the gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit in his work to love and serve and reach our community in the name of Jesus. And I still believe that there's hope for the, for the world through the church. I still believe there's hope for the church. I don't think God is just over with the church. I, th- I still think God is at move and at work through the local church. The same person who spoke the world into existence says, I will build my church. This is his church. He is doing it. He is building. We get to join him. And I just want to like kind of pray my thought for us as we just are leaving like this Easter week was kind of going, okay, Lord, uh, would you do that again? Would you build your church? 
Would you restore and reorient our minds around what it is you have in mind for the church? Even if we've been hurt by it, even if it's done a, a lot of damage, would your will be done again through the church? Like, what is it you want to do? What is it you have in mind? We want to join you in that. Again, I get it because I, don't, I know that the church is kind of a bizarre place. It's not, sometimes it can be treated like this is a museum where good things are. In reality, obviously, we know it's just a hospital for the broken and hurting. And I think sometimes there's misunderstanding toward the church. And I, I want to get back to like, but what is your, your vision? Like, what is your will? And I think here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul is saying to Timothy, basically, to make disciples, to raise up people who will raise up people. He gives a few different analogies of what that looks like, a soldier, a farmer, an athlete. And he's saying, here's what it looks like to be a part of the church. Here's what it looks like as your role as a soldier, a farmer, an athlete. Here's what everyone's role should look like. That when it comes to making disciples, again, we do all have a role and part in this, and that is my hope as we get back to this. What Paul is basically saying to Timothy is that the key to the health of the church is the quality of its disciples. I want to be really clear here. I think if we want to have a healthy, vibrant church, it comes to how, how do we make disciples? What does that look like? It comes to the health of the disciples. It's not just on the leaders, even though it is in a big way. Everyone has a part and role here. And the idea is the health, our health, our spiritual health will create, I think, the health of the church. And so here's what Paul says, actually, in verse 1 and 2. Let's read this again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's just break this down really quick. He says, entrust to other men. Entrust to other men. This word men, by the way, is this word anthropos. It just means mankind. He literally says, trust this to people. Trust this to mankind. So here's the idea. He says, entrust this to faithful men and women. This idea of entrust, it simply means put something of great value into someone's care or protection. Put something of great value into someone's care or protection. So let me uh, say it this way. I don't know if you've ever been given like a family heirloom, right? Someone's like, guard this with your life. This is great grandma. It's like, do not lose this or something, right? You're like, oh, what do I do with this? Or maybe for me, it's like if I trust someone, I give them my beautiful, amazing three-year-old daughter, and I'm like, you just keep her safe, right? Don't let her hit her head in the church, even though she did. I'm just um, but my, my hope is to say, I, I love this. I'm giving you this. I trust you. I trust you. Guard this with your life. He's saying, this is of great value and importance, and make sure you entrust people with this that you count as faithful, and trust them. Give this over to them. Pass this on. It cannot stay with you. You know, I've mentioned this, but I'm very thankful. Now at 33, looking back, when I was 18, I don't think I realized what I was a part of, with a few group of guys sitting down every week. We'd meet once a week with, this, with Pastor Chuck Smith, the guy who started Calvary. At 18, I'd just go, oh, it's cool. We're meeting Chuck. But looking back and remembering some of the conversations, we recorded some of them. I'm going, I don't think we realized what we had. And I saw this guy week after week just talk to us about his love for Jesus, his love for the church, how God is not done, how God wants to still move, how there's still more revivals ahead, how God is still looking for people who he can just pour out his spirit upon and use. And I was thinking about week after week just sitting with him, and he's going, hey, God is looking for people who are willing to set themselves apart and say, God, I want to be completely set apart for your use, your work. Here I am. Send me. And there's that constant, like, be ready, be available, be set apart. And what he's trying to do, I believe, and I think this is beautiful, we all should be a part of, is how do we entrust this to other people and pass this on? Like, it cannot stay with us. This idea of the gospel, we have the greatest message. We have the greatest news. It cannot stay with us. It cannot just live in this little church building. It has to keep going out. It has to keep reaching the next generation and the next generation. 
and has to produce more disciples. And really at the heart of this, Paul is talking about disciple-making. And so he says, entrust this to what? Faithful men. Faithful men, right? Because that's what Paul is like. Paul, or, uh, he repeats it, but also Solomon writes, who can find a faithful man? I mean, the hardest thing is to find faithful people. And he goes, make sure you give this to faithful people. I think early on, uh, just in my youth, one of the main things I was challenged on, and I really needed to hear it, was just on my faithfulness. It's like, hey, you know, good character. You, can, you have some gifts, but you're inconsistent. And I remember being challenged in that. It's like, you show up when you want, how you want. You come partially prepared. Like God can really use you, but you're not being faithful. And if you're not being faithful, you will not receive more. And I remember that challenge of like, who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful woman? God wants to entrust this gospel to people who are faithful. He goes, entrust this to faithful men. And even going back, this, the, the, the way this started was, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He starts off by saying, uh, Timothy, this is passive, by the way, just receive the grace that is in Christ. Receive the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus. You know, how I love now more than ever, I think, and how I appreciate now more than ever people of grace. Like when you're around people of grace, there's a humility to them because they, they know they're only who they are or where they're at by the grace of God. Like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Someone who does not understand the grace of God is usually really arrogant, really self-deceived, very hard to be around. But when you're around people of grace, you go, wow, it's so sweet. There's love, there's gentleness, there's tact. It's so beautiful. And he goes, be strengthened by the grace. Guys, I would love to have a church of just people filled with just be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. Like we be a people of grace, not of law, but a people of grace. That that is what we're marked and known for. That we be like strengthened in that, receive uh, the strength that comes from Jesus' grace what he has to offer. He goes, be strengthened by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here is the whole point of verse one and two. He's basically saying, Timothy, make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Now we use that phrase, what does it mean? Like make disciples, what does that even mean? Make disciples is this, disciple making, is intentionally and relationally investing oneself in the spiritual growth and maturity of others, right? I'm just intentionally and through relationship investing to see spiritual growth, and maturity. Maybe you've had that. Maybe you haven't had that. All, God is calling all of us to be that. But maybe we want to make disciples and we're not being made one ourselves. We're trying to get like the cart in front of the horse kind of a thing. But we need to be part of this, whether receiving that. And I think it's a mixture of both all the time. I'm being poured into and I'm pouring out into others. As God increases, my cup runs over. It pours into other people's cups. Just that idea you know, when it comes to this idea of making disciples, there's kind of three aspects to this, and I want to put this up here simply. It's a content, intent, and context. Content meaning, okay, how do you make disciples? There has to be like, the, what is the content? The content is this. It is the gospel of Jesus, meaning as you pour to people, as people pour into you, it's very easy, I believe, more and more as time goes on to get fixated on little bents, little ideologies that we kind of get focused on maybe some even maybe political thing or political aspect. Like we want to make disciples in a certain way. We got to realize the content has to be the gospel of Jesus. The content has to be Jesus Christ and them crucified and resurrected. The content has to be so emphasized on him. It has to be so focused on him, the finished work of the cross. The content of discipleship is essentially the gospel. There's a book uh, by J.D. Greer called The Gospel. I really would recommend it. He talks about how the gospel is, yes, Jesus died for you and rose again, but how that plays out into relationships, how that plays out into maybe intimacy, how you use money, how you use your power, how you use the gifts and skills God has given you. The gospel plays out into everything, but the content has to be the gospel. Amen? When it comes to making disciples, we cannot get sidetracked by secondary or third topics that are, yes, important, but still not the primary of 
importance of the gospel. The content is the, the gospel. The intent, you got to look at the intent of the heart, which is you want to see multiplication. When it comes to intent, you want to see people who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Like, yes, we want to see growth. The growth is not bad. You want to say that it cannot end with me. If someone invests in me and it ends with me, no. It must be passed on. Someone invests in you, it must be passed on. The intent is to make disciples who make disciples. Yes? Amen? And the context is just through relationship. The context would be just through uh, deep friendship, deep, deep relationship, that they know you, you're fully known, you know them. They can speak specifically into your life in a certain way. You know, this might just be a side point, but we, we try to do something and we try to encourage it, something called core groups. We have a little booklet out there just try to help guide and govern that conversation, like where you can actually have confession, core, core group, C-O-R-E, confessions, other reading, exhortation. But this idea of like, we're going to do this one-on-one or maybe one-on-two, we want to actually really make disciples here in that way. I'd point you to that and say that's just a good start point for this. My thing is we can't just be a church that comes here and plays games. We have to fight to make disciples. We have to understand what that means, the content, the intent, the context. We have to understand what that looks like. This is so key. Do you notice this, by the way, in verse 2, what he says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be to teach others also. I know you probably see this, but just think through this with me. Paul in this is speaking like four generations in this one verse. He goes, me to you, you to others who can teach others. Me, you, Others, teach others, who can teach others? Four generations. I love that. Like we need to have a vision of discipleship that kind of includes other generations. That it goes to you, it goes to him, it goes to him. Like it keeps going. It just keeps going on and on. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I think one of the most um, inspirational things I've ever seen or been to, maybe you've been there, is the Billy Graham Library. I don't know if you guys know Billy Graham. All right, this is it's kind of weird. Like I, I thought this would be so weird. I'm like, Kimber, when we were in North Carolina, she put on her schedule like Billy Graham Library. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm a pastor. I love Billy Graham. But I'm like, really? We're going to go to his library? I had no idea like what it was. It's crazy. It's awesome. It's like a museum. There's a cow that talks to you. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's so random. But it starts off and I'm like, okay, this is like, you know, a little cheesy. But then as I'm going through each room, I'm just like in tears, amazed and flooded by this guy's life that over 2.2 billion people heard his voice, like literally heard his voice. You think about the birth of like the radio, then TV. I mean, he's at the start of just kind of like how content just flooded the world. I think over 215 million people saw him live, heard him live, but over 2.2 billion people heard him preach the gospel. And I'm hearing this and we're just listening to this. I think over 20 million, I might be getting that part wrong, but like 20 million people responded to the gospel of Jesus to this guy. And you're hearing like how God just used this man. He passed away, I think in a few years ago, 2017 maybe. I'm just listening to all these stories of how God used this person to shape the world. And in the uh, library, they kind of had this like genealogy of who led Billy Graham to Christ. I thought this was fascinating. We'll put this up here. A guy named Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, led someone, you might have heard of him, maybe not, but his name's D.L. Moody. Awesome. (laughs) Kimball led Moody to Christ. Moody led this guy named Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman led another evangelist named Billy Sunday to Christ. Billy Sunday led another evangelist named Mordecai Ham to Christ. Mordecai led Billy Graham to Christ. I love this started with Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> you know, pray for our Sunday school teachers right now. They have my son. Pray for them. Um, I love that he led Moody to Christ and Billy Sunday, like all these well-known people who preached the gospel for years, ultimately to Billy. And you kind of go, wow, and then Billy to who else? Here's the thing. You just see this generational thing. Hey, Timothy, I, I pre- what I gave you I invested in you, you invested in someone else, make sure they invest in someone else. Keep this going. Like, it cannot stay here. It has to keep going. And notice this invitation to ministry. Look at verse 3, really quick. Verse 3, this invitation to ministry, he says simply, share in suffering. Who wants to be in? Who wants to join? Like, I love this. He's like, hey, share in my suffering. 
I don't know if we actually look at sometimes um, leadership that way. Sometimes maybe there's, again, a bad picture of leadership or the bad taste in their mouth because of what we've seen the abuse of leaders or whatever it might be. But notice Paul's like, hey, I want to invite you into leadership, which is sharing in my suffering. By the way, if you decide I want to be someone who invests in others, you are going to be hurt. You're going to be hurt by people you're investing in. You're going to be hurt by the world. You're gonna be, you're gonna be, it's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult at times. People will probably feel hurt by you as well. It's one of those things that there is going to be suffering involved. And I love this. Paul's not trying to make a really good sales pitch. Neither am I. <laughs> it's almost like, hey, if you want to be all in, just get ready. Share in my suffering. We know that ultimately they, they suffered. I mean, these were the men and women who were fed to the lions, who were speared through, who were crucified upside down. I mean, we know that there was true suffering, true suffering. But I think it's an expectation we should have, which is if you want to be part of this process of making disciples, it will be painful at times. And he goes, hey, shared my suffering. Now, here's what I will get to. There's three analogies he gives, and I'll try to work through these pretty quickly. He goes, when it comes to making disciples, here's what it looks like. When it comes to the church, here's what it looks like. Here's the three analogies. He says, you're a soldier, not a civilian. You're an athlete, not a spectator. You're a farmer, not a consumer. All right, can we start there? Verse three, let's look at the first one. He says, you're a soldier, not a civilian. Uh, Verse three, he says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You're a soldier, not a civilian. Obviously, Paul actually used a lot of kind of war-type, soldier-type of terminology because he was chained to a soldier. I think Paul had time to think about the Roman government. I think Paul had a time to think about, well, what does this look like? He goes, hey, you're a soldier, not a civilian in this. A Roman soldier, uh, you might know how to serve 20 years in their military, 20 years. That desired extreme loyalty and commitment. They'd have to get their legion tattooed on their body. I mean, if you were to leave or flee or not be a soldier, it just ended in your death. Like you had to serve once you started, you had to serve your time. And it was just this extreme loyalty. And Paul's looking at this going, okay, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, we need that. We need people who say, I'm in. I'm in. We need that kind of loyalty. He's like describing, you're a soldier. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Actually, this is interesting. In the Roman code of uh, Theodosius, it said this, we forbid men engaged on military service to engage in civilian occupations. You see, they were, this was like their code of saying, you had to be focused, be focused. I don't know if we as a church are always focused on what's important. I don't know if we're focused on our mission. I don't know if we're always focused on the main thing. Sometimes my heart grieves when I hear the church just like, and kind of get engaged in things that sounds like a civilian type of pursuit. Like we're losing sight of the gospel of Jesus. We're losing sight of making disciples that make disciples. And we can lose sight of that very easily. I think also with this idea or this terminology of being like a soldier, not a civilian, it's this idea a soldier knows who its enemy is. I think the church needs to be reminded again of who its enemy is. We have one enemy and his name is Satan. His name is Lucifer. His name is the deceiver. The point is that flesh and blood is not my enemy. Some person on some side of the political aisle is not my enemy. Someone that has a different mindset, they're not my enemy. They might be a casualty of war, and I should treat them as a paramedic, but they are not my enemy. I have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He's the great deceiver. And I really do believe this is so important as the church, because I think now more than ever, we're, we're really getting sidetracked. We forget who our enemy is. We're making the other person our enemy. And the Bible is very clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? So we're making people our enemy when in reality, that's who God wants to redeem and restore. And so now it's very hard for us to evangelize the people. It's hard for us to love on people. It's hard for us to serve people because they think differently than us. That's not okay. 
I think, I think, I think again, the enemy, our enemy, Satan, is a genius to make us entangled with the wrong things, with secondary things. I love how one author put it. He says, if you do not have a Satan in your theology, you'll make everyone else a Satan. And that's what we do. If you don't have Satan in your theology and your worldview, because I understand that people struggle with this idea of Satan, they struggle with this idea of a great enemy, well, then what you do is you end up demonizing everyone else. But you have one enemy, and the church has to stop getting sidetracked. People might be casualties of war. People might be trying to join him and not really know what they're doing. But in reality, we don't, they don't, have any, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I think as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not, flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy the stronghold. I don't know if you guys remember the movie, um, oh, what was it called? Foot Locker. Was it Foot Locker? No, I'm saying that wrong. Hurt Locker. There we go. It's close. Foot Locker. That's great. Foot Locker is a great movie when they bought the shoes. Um, Hurt Locker. It's such a crazy movie where a guy, basically a soldier, goes and like disarms bombs and he has to go in the middle of the road and like pull them up. And you, it's just unbelievable. Just that kind of job or that kind of role at different points in time. But there's a scene in the movie where he's like goes back to civilian life and he's in the supermarket and he's just overwhelmed with anxiety because <clears throat> he goes, I, I, I'm not made for this. I'm not wired for this. I can't, I can't do this. It's really weird. <clears throat> if you've talked to missionaries who come back to like America or come back to our culture, like this is weird. This is weird. Like I'm, I'm, I, I had this mission mind. I come back kind of to like what's normal and like this normal is not okay, but why is it okay? And it's weird. It's weird when you think like some of the things we put up with as followers of Jesus and today and some of the things like we're okay with, why are we okay with? You see, we kind of get entangled so easily with the things of this world. I think the idea that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, it's so important. Like, that's why we want to be a part of things like Four Kids and really being a part of uh, creating gospel-centered homes that are adopting kids into these families. Yes, absolutely. I think that's why we want to grow, and really, my hope is actually share this more in the future, we literally like to grow a prayer team and prayer ministry and really, really grow that. Like, really have that be a strong arm of our church, that our success is going really back to the prayer, going back to what God has done answering those prayers. There's some of those things we go, we got to invest in the right things. Our weapons are not physical. They're not flesh. They're not carnal. Like, we got to invest in the things that really matter. We got to preach the gospel. We can't be ashamed of it. Like, we got to invest in the things that are going to bring real radical change to this world in the name of Jesus for his glory, for his, for his credit. We got to be part of this. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, hey, you're not a civilian, you're a soldier. Stop getting sidetracked. He says in 1 John 3, Paul, or John writes, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He goes, don't you realize that we are a part of this greater battle or war? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You are a part of this. And how do we do that? By preaching the gospel, by living it out, by embodying what Jesus had in mind. And he goes, we have to be a part of this. Listen, I think this is a great vision for the church. Realize that you are, and I am, a soldier, not a civilian. But our enemy is not people. Our enemy is Satan and his strategies, his schemes, his wiles. We want to be aware of that. We want to fight appropriately. Next, Paul would go on to say uh, this. He says, you're an athlete, not a spectator. Look at verse 5. You're an athlete. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, this is a stranger. That's it. He was an athlete. is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, um, Paul uses this analogy of an athlete a lot in the New Testament, a lot. He looks at like different sports, I think, just to kind of create a big picture of like how you and I are participating in this. What he says by you must compete according to the rules, here's what I'd get at because you see this in other places. This idea comes to discipline. It comes to your character. Like what really matters is like, here's what's really weird. We create our own rules today. We make up our rules. Like we make up rules about life, about sexuality, about gender. We create our own rules. We create our own ways of doing life. And he goes, hey, if you're going to uh, fight, if you're going to be an athlete and compete, uh, you got to fight according to the rules. And the idea is like our character really does matter. 
our, our character in the process, I think that the greatest kind of, I don't know, scarlet letter on the church has been like our character. And he's saying this really matters. Like you must fight for those integral hidden parts of you. The, the, the hidden side really matters. I love what Dallas Willard said about this. He says, however we may understand the details, there can be no doubt on the biblical picture of human life that we were meant to be inhabited by God and to live by a power beyond ourselves. Human problems cannot be solved by human means. Human life can never flourish unless it pulses with the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. But only constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be uh, God's person for their time and place in the world. They are the only ones who develop the character that makes it safe to have such power. Developing the character. How much time do we spend developing character? It's crazy. We will spend a lot of time developing ourselves, our business, our successes, our education. How much time do we spend developing our character? How much time do we spend developing that, that part of us that matters most to God? And he goes, this is, this is what it means by competing according to the rules, the rules. God cares about the hidden person. God cares about my, me, my hidden person. The side that only God sees and knows. God cares about your hidden person. That not the things you're projecting on others, but that hidden part of you. God's like, I want to I work on that. I want to work on that, that part of you that maybe you're not really giving over to anyone. I want you to make it known. I want you to be active. I want you to let, let people speak into it. Let people love you. Let people be patient with you. Let, let the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and, and just let, let God change you and transform you more into the image of his son. I want to work on that character side. This is so key and so important. Paul would say about competing according to the rules in 1 Corinthians 9, he builds off this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not uh, box as one uh, beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, he's speaking to the side of him. He's saying your, your discipline, that side of you, that like your spiritual disciplines, your spiritual rhythms, like the, the, your practices, your habits, those things, it's so important to develop that. Like obviously we can see the glory of an athlete, but we don't see the hours and hours and hours they put in behind the scenes. And he's like, I care about the hours behind the scenes. I care about that self-discipline. I care about you want to, the goal is obviously to win. The goal is to finish. The goal is not to lose. And you work really hard. He goes, hey, make sure, keep the goal in mind, compete according to the rules, and make sure there's self-discipline. And he goes, that's so that you may have his crown. That you may have this crown, this imperishable crown. This crown that will not fail. All of the crowns will be burned up. The wreath that the, the uh, Olympic athletes were given, they would just take to the temple of Zeus and just throw it down. And he said, no, no, you have an imperishable crown. You get to throw it, not at the, the temple of Zeus, but at the feet of Jesus. You, you have this imperishable crown that comes in this way. He's saying, as an athlete, like our character, the hidden part of us, competing according to the rules, that matters. The discipline, that matters. God cares about the inward man, not just the outward man. Amen? And then lastly, here's what he says number three. You're a farmer, not a consumer. <laughs> I love this analogy. Read with me in verse six. He says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. That's it. It is a hardworking farmer who has to have the, the first share of the crops. This is interesting to me. Um, a farmer, right? Uh, the idea is it took a lot of work, a lot of discipline, and it wasn't instant. We live in a really weird instant gratification culture. Like now, if I order something on Amazon, I'm angry if it does not come that same day. I'm like, why is it coming tomorrow? A whole day? It's pathetic, right? Like our patience has gone down a lot. We live in a high 
instant gratification kind of moment culture. Like we are mi that microwave spirituality. It's crazy because the whole idea of growing in your faith, it takes a while. It takes time. We have to be patient with one another. We have to realize it will take a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of doing the same thing every single day over and over again, and you might not see results for a while. A farmer who tills the ground and removes some of the bad soil and replaces it with good soil and is watering it, and like till that takes a while. I'm like, oh, I finally see a little like, thing of life coming up. And it just takes a while. We want our food, we want it now. We want our orders, we want it now. And Paul is saying, hey, like, when it comes to this farmer idea, uh, it's gonna take some time. We gotta be patient. And I, again, I think this is so key. I need patience and grace with you. You need patience and grace with me. There's this idea of like, it, take, it takes a little while. But also this idea that before you really reap the benefit of the harvest, there's a lot of, again, unseen work. I love what John Tyson said about this. Listen to this quote. I'm like, oh, blown away by it. He says, everybody loves to show up when it, it, the church is on fire, but nobody wants to gather the wood. This is how I feel so often. Everyone wants to be a part of something great. But are you willing to be in that prayer closet? Are you willing to serve in an unseen way where no one ever says good job? Like, are you willing to do the things where you might not ever get the credit or glory and you're, okay, you're absolutely okay with that because you're like, God gets the glory anyways. The idea is everyone wants to see and be a part of the fire, but no one wants to gather the wood. Everyone wants to receive the harvest, but no one wants to plant. No one wants to be out in the sun in the middle of the day removing some bugs. Like, no one wants to be doing that. And he's like, no, no, this is, it must take this. And you get to benefit in that. You get to share it in the crop of the heart. Like, there is something really rewarding when you go, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you. It's Paul saying, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase in 1 Corinthians 3. But there's something really beautiful. You go, wow, I got to be part of it. But God, you gave the increase. Whether I planted or watered, God, God gave the increase. And there's something so beautiful going, I got to be a part of that. I thank you, Lord. I would love for God to do a work in South Florida, and whether or not it is through our church, I would say, can we at least participate by gathering the wood in the secret? That if God were to start a fire, we go, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a fire happening in some part of the globe. Thank you, Lord. You know, I wonder what right now is happening in some part of the world, praying for the American church. If we saw a revival, if we saw God do something work, like do something amazing, we go, look what we did. And it's like, little we know, there's like this one little family praying for our church or praying for the, the church in America or whatever it might be. It's like, we, we so forget just how we're part of it, something global here of the church, of the body of Christ. And so we need people who want to gather the wood, not just enjoy the fire. Yes. Amen. He goes, you are, a, you're, uh, again, a farmer, not a consumer. By the way, we're not a consumer. It is bizarre because sometimes I hear weird talk, like, you know, about the church. It's like, hey, did you like church today? It's like, I don't know, I kind of like church. Like, what does that mean? What do you mean? Like, you're, you're the church. Like, do you like yourself? I don't know, I kind of like myself. Like, it's weird to me when I, like, how I hear us talk about the church. Just bizarre. Like, again, even though simple thing, I'm going to church, like, I get it, obviously. Like, I know what that means. But sometimes we do get this idea that church is a building, and we even have a building fund. <laughs> and I'm praying about, like, God, what is that? You know, it's, it's not about that. Like, I get it. We, we want a place that we can count on and rely on and meet, not get kicked out of. I get it. But sometimes we talk about the church like it's just a building. Sometimes we talk about church like it's a business. Like, the, the pastor's the CEO or something weird like that. And it's sad. I get it. Like, if you talk about the church as a building or as a business, I understand why there's a consumer mentality. Well, church wasn't the way I wanted to go. What does that even mean? You're the church. You didn't do what you wanted to do. Like, I don't know what you mean. Like, when people have ideas or visions, like, I would love to see the church do this. I'm like, okay, do it. Like, great. Like, you're the church. Like, it's just funny to me. It's so bizarre to me. Like, we have these ideas. We have these dreams. I wish the church was more like that. I'm like, I wish you were more like that. Like, right? You're like, what does that mean? Like, th th that's you. You are the church. You're talking about yourself. This is not about, like, it's someone, someone people say to me, like, oh, you're a church. I'm like, my, my church, that is the weirdest phrase to me. Like, no, I'm sorry. This is the body of Christ. This is, first of all, Jesus' church, and this is our church. Like, we, we got to speak of it, like, in a sense, like, this is our community. So it's not a building. It's not a business. It's a body. It's the body of Christ. We're not consumers. 
having it our way, like McDonald's or Burger King or something. Like, I wish it was more like, no, it's not that. We're not consumers here. We're not competitors here. Where it's a business competing with another local church. We're not competitors. We are a community. And that is the idea. And we need local communities living out the call and vision of the church that Jesus has for the church. And I say, let's be part of that. Let's fight for that. Let's celebrate others in that. Let's celebrate a church that is actually giving themselves over to beautiful things that Jesus has given the church. Go, yes, they're, they're seeking prayer, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. It's an emphasized thing there that is beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Let's celebrate that here. Let's fight for that here. If you, you see something you don't like, let's be that. I want, to, I want us to be that, not say, I wish it was more like this. We'll be more like, let, let us be what we want it to be. Let us be a part of it in that way. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. This is your church. This is our church. Jesus is the head. He will build his church. We trust and surrender him in this. And he says, you know what? You're a farmer, not a consumer. Some of you might plant, some of you might water. God will give the increase. God gets the glory. A lot of people want to be the, part of the fire, but not a lot of people want to gather the wood. Let's all gather the wood. Yes. Amen. Yes. Paul ends with this in verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, Think over what I say. <laughs> For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, yes, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Remember, reflect. His two things he says, he like leaves us with. He goes, reflect, think over, think over, reflect, and remember Jesus. This is essential to Christian living, is reflecting, meditating on the Word of God, remembering what the Word of God has said. He goes, remember what I say. We need to walk through our day just reflecting, remembering. And he goes, remember Jesus is risen from the dead. And know what I love about that? He's saying, don't you realize that he's not dead? Don't you realize the church is birthed out of resurrection? That that same power now lives in you? We don't have to go around life thinking that we lost. We don't have to go around life thinking that Christ is still in the tomb because he's not in the tomb. Remember that he's risen from the dead. Remember that even though I'm in chains, the word of God can never be chained. Like, listen to that language Paul's using. You can try to stop me. You can kill us. You can torture us. You can set us on fire. You can set this book on fire, but the word of God will still be released. Unbelievable. That is the church because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I mean, this is the number one most bought, and I don't know about read, but the number one most bought book on planet earth, but also throughout history, it's the number one book that's been burned or banned and it's still unchained, and it's still producing life, and it still changes lives, and this is called the church. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He built his church, and he used his church to get the gospel out and make disciples, and let's be part of that. We have to be part of that. A couple quick things I want to share with you guys just in, in light of some stuff for us. It's cool. It's cool for me today, I think, because it's like, oh, you know, baby dedication and baptism. I just like church life. I love it. It's so sweet. Uh, today, we we're having a training for our group leaders, um, we want to pray over our group leaders in just a second. You guys know that what we do for groups is we meet January, February, March. We take off April. And we start again in May. So we'll announce this again next week. And then in May, uh, May, June, July, we'll have groups. Take off August, September, October, November. Take off December. That's kind of how we do groups. It's three months on, one month off. Just stay with me. Um, what we do for groups is we would love for everyone to be a part of community in this way, in some way. We don't have a midweek service. We like to meet midweek in homes or at coffee shops, just doing life. We'd say, would you please pray about being a part of community? community, because it's not a building, this is not a business, this is a body, and a big part of that is now saying, hey, Sunday's message is over, someone takes this, what we just did, they write up a lesson, bring some uh, questions, and we try to live it out throughout the week. Um, so here's what I'd say, please, we would love for you to be part of that. You might go to a group or two, find one, but stick with it eventually. I get if you want to explore, but stick with it. Through the thick and thin, through the good and bad, stick with it. Love it. 
invest in it. You don't like it? Be what you want it, want it to be like. Like, we would love to fight for communion this way. So know this, that that will start officially after next Sunday, May 1st, but we want to use this Sunday as an opportunity to pray over our leaders in just a moment, but let me just kind of throw this up here. So Here's some things we've, uh, want, we just have some issues and, and needs with and help with. Uh, we ask our ministry leads to kind of say, hey, what are some needs you have when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to your area of service? Here's what we have. Communications, these are the teams and the, the amount of people they need to have a healthy team. Let me just put this out there when it comes to serving. Communications, three. Operations, five. Hospitality, ten. Support and service oversight, ten. AV production, four. Worship, nine. Our e-kids, eleven. Youth, three. And experience, four. What these words are, they represent different ministries or teams that kind of serve throughout the week or month, whatever it might be. And we're just saying, hey, if you would like to serve and be part of the body in this way, there's some needs there, <laughs> all right? Um, we could love, we'd love to just have some help in those ways. I know Jocelyn are back with our e-kids church. Like, please, we need help with the kids. Um, that'd be amazing. Next is this, just when it comes to groups, I want to make sure, again, I mention this. You can start signing up for groups today. The website is, like, updated. You can start signing up, but groups will start next Monday. When it comes to the church, there's a lot of things that we want to invest in and do. One of those things is fighting for community. We are starting the Exchange 101, which is trying to build kind of off this conversation, which will start next week. If you would, sign up online. If you've never been part of the Exchange 101, it's four weeks long. We meet right after church in the library here. We have lunch provided, and we just kind of talk through all things Jesus and the church and our role here. All right, that starts next week right after church. We'd love for you to be part of that. Um, we do something this summer called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. We did it once last year. This will be our second time. Uh, some of our groups will be doing this. Some people might just do this, uh, this only. We would love for you to be part of, of this. It's a way to help kind of strengthen how you maybe deal with conflicts. If there's issues or certain dynamics in a relationship, uh, emotionally healthy relationships is something uh, we do once a year. It's a series of videos and discussions and a workbook that everyone gets. And we would love for you to sign up online for this as well. Something else coming up is Alpha. Alpha is something we do once a year. We did it last year for the first time in the month of September and October. It was so cool. Uh, it's a series of videos that engage with people who are unchurched, who don't know Jesus, who don't know the gospel. And I honestly think in a very intelligent and intellectual kind of setting, it, and it brings up issues of life and tries to just have a conversation about it. Uh, we had dinner provided every week, and we rented this room out, and we watched the videos and talked about it. It was awesome. That will be this fall. I'm telling you this now because we'd love for you to be in prayer about and be like inviting people to this and maybe coming and serving or just sitting and being part of it. It was so fun last year. Um, something we don't really talk about often, but it is being, just being generous. Um, I would, by the way, if you're new here, by no means we have an expectation. You do not need to give. We do not even want you to give. But if you'd notice that we don't actually talk about this a ton, but I realize that sometimes this conviction that falls on me is like we want to see prayer grow. We want to see the word of God grow. We want to see community grow. But uh, maybe we don't ever talk about just saying, hey, God wants all of us. And uh, why are finances sometimes something we are afraid to talk about? And it's one of those things where you say, Lord, if I say you have all of me, I want to give you all of me. And I would say just pray about what it means to be generous. Last thing is prayer ministry. We really want to invest in this team and this ministry. And I'll say if you guys would uh, be in prayer about this, hopefully there's more details to come about really kind of build up this part of our church. So here's why I'm bringing all of this kind of up. We just talked about what is the church? What is the vision for the church? How do we make disciples? How do we make disciples who will make disciples? How do we continue this and pass this on? These are just some of the ways we want to do and invest in to build Jesus' church. Amen?